Welcome to the Science Witch Podcast, where we explore how science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another. I'm your co-host, Angel. And I'm your co-host, Ruby, and this is our 52nd episode. For today's episode, we're bringing you an interview with author Vincent Higginbotham about how witchcraft is adaptive based on the wisdom he espouses in his book, How Witchcraft Saved My Life. Mm-hmm. And to be completely honest, we've both really felt the pressure, struggle, and despair that sometimes imposes on those of us who are still trying to find a way to be creative mm-hmm. in a society that devalues and just outright exploits us. Like, mm-hmm. what's been keeping me going lately is a line repeated quite a bit in uh, Meet the Robinsons, uh, keep moving forward. I swear to God that mantra is it's borderline a trauma response anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm reminded of the quote that I used for my senior yearbook, which I can't even remember where I heard it, but it says, creativity thrives on the tension between isolation and suffering. And as emo as that sounds, I've been feeling it really hard lately. Well, maybe not so much the isolation, but when I was hearing this quote and taking it to heart, it was prior to the internet being a thing, which really dates me. But suffice to say, creativity has been born out of a lot of suffering lately, and it's not really thriving as much as it's trying to keep us connected to why we are alive in a lot of ways, much like witchcraft has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm nearly a generation behind y'all in the mm-hmm. in the third decree of Pluto and Sagittarius. And like compared to elder millennials with like Pluto and Scorpio, but that doesn't mean I haven't had time to like reconcile that in terms of surviving the conditions of trying to revitalize a dying planet that everyone else gets to inherit. Yay. Mm. I mean, I tried. If only we had just listened to Al Gore back in 2002. At least we got the ozone layer patched up. If if anything, all this stuff that's going on, it's a mass call to organize. We didn't back then, and on the threshold of climate disaster and economic collapse, we're in it. What we have right now is the ability to cope and the ability to try to make things better. Science and witchcraft make that available for us to hold on to so that we don't have to live the rest of our lives projecting trauma onto ourselves through constant pessimism. Right, and when it comes back to witchcraft, I've been a fan of Vinny's work since I first heard about him on some of my other favorite witchy podcasts, and his perspective as a young gay man who grew up on the streets and found his way through some of the most adverse situations into the life he has now is not only inspiring, but it's also empowering. The absolute candor with which he shares his life and experience in the book How Witchcraft Saved My Life is profound and moving, and something I recommend to anyone who feels the crushing weight of life circumstances, and how witchcraft is there to empower, uplift, and affirm us. His work articulates an idea that I've been fomenting in that witchcraft is not only a spiritual path, but it in fact helps us survive the conditions we find ourselves at the moment, and in fact makes us more adaptive, resilient, and able to survive in a world that we are inheriting in the 21st century, which, as you said, Ruby, you'll get to live a lot longer in than me. Yay. Uh. Uh, Before we get to this interview, I just want to give a content warning for discussions about sexual abuse, homelessness, and mentions of sex work. Overall, though, this is not a trauma dump episode, but more of an overcoming the adversity and the use of witchcraft in this episode, and that's why it's so important to share right now. Witchcraft is adaptive because it connects us to our magic, to which makes us all unique and special and important in the big scheme of things. 
as I love to say, and of course is the occult maxim is, as above, so below. We each have an innate power and purpose that we can find our way through the demoralizing machine of capitalism towards what is meaningful about our own unique human experience. And so without further ado, we bring you Angel's interview with Vinny about how witchcraft saves our lives and helps us survive and even thrive in late-stage capitalism. For this episode, I am pleased to welcome Vincent Higginbotham to the show, author of the book, How Witchcraft Saved My Life, Practical Advice for Transformative Magic. So you first came onto my radar after I had listened to another podcast. And then when I listened to it, I was just, wow, I really love what you were saying. I really like this idea of how witchcraft helped save your life. And so I got your book and this was at least, I think, two years ago. So you've been on my radar. Well, when did this book come out? I want to say 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So it was two years ago. So yeah, I, what is time? But yeah, so you've been on my radar. It might have been, wait a minute. I got to think now because was it 2020? Or was it 2021? I think it was 2021. Okay. So that's still two years. I knew that that I had, I had gotten, I had known about you before we met at Mystic South and then I wanted to have you on the podcast. And so thanks to the powers of the witchy community and how we're all connected, I now get to have the chance to have this convo with you about your book here on the Science Witch Podcast. But before we get To all that, I thought maybe you could start out by introducing yourself to our listeners and talk about what inspired you to write this book. Yeah, so, you know, my name is Vinny, and I spent a large portion of my adolescence homeless from Mm -hmm. like 15 to 25. And then I got myself into college and just kind of all along the way, nothing has ever really stopped me. And I mean, I... I attribute that a little bit to having this Sagittarius moon and Mm -hmm. rising because it just really helps surpass my boundaries. But I think that also there's this intricate thing inside of humans that is the gift of self-empowerment. And we can Mm -hmm. empower ourselves to do these things and supersede any kind of boundaries or roadblocks that stand in our way. And I went and did that in life. And then I was like, hey, let me go ahead and explain to people that they can do this too and they can be empowered and you know so that was always something that I wanted to tell the world well then I had the opportunity to write a Llewellyn book and really incorporate what was already a part of my life just privately and doing magic and whatnot and be like okay this is the magic that I learned to use in that time Mm -hmm. and throughout time and then I just kind of found a way to teach that lesson and it's not traditional at all I mean, nothing I do, I think, falls under... Uh, yeah, no, that's a lie. There are things that I do that I feel are traditional in terms of how I work with my deity. But otherwise, I don't really follow a very traditional path. Mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? The question was... Yeah, yeah. Well, like, sorry. what inspired <laughs> you? Introduce well, myself, I, yeah. Yeah, and, and also, the, you know, this book, one of the things I really like about it is that it gives a very practical and what I like to think of as an adaptive way to mm-hmm. practice witchcraft, that one of the themes that has been coming up in an, our podcast, as well as one of the things I wanted to talk about in this interview that I mentioned at Mystic South was this idea of witchcraft being adaptive. And I think your work is a great example of how witchcraft can be adaptive and how help us survive late stage capitalism. Right. So actually to that point, sorry to interrupt you, but like I actually have a book that is out right now called Thrifty Witchery that Mm -hmm. I wrote with Martha Kirby Capo. And that book actually pushes that question even further with how does a witch adapt to this Mm post-capitalism environment where we're told to buy all kinds of stuff and do we really need to and I think that in a way it's like a continuation of this idea of accessing magic that I have which I don't know is just again not traditional it's like not Mm -hmm. what you'd expect it's more like what you're led to Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. because it would be different for everybody, right? I mean, I learned magic while I was homeless. Amongst mm -hmm. other things, it was a survival technique. Right. And as I was growing and adapting and learning magic and not even realizing that I was using and learning magic, right, along the way until after when I had more enlightening moments and I'm like, oh, this is what I've been doing this whole time. There's just all these steps that you go through to develop and survive. And at some point, things stop being about survival and start being about empowerment and mm -hmm. finding your strength and learning your strong suits so that you can let those lead and move into the possibility of being more mm -hmm. than what you think you are. Because let's face it, when you're in a low place, I'm not saying that that is a person's fault, right? But when you're in a low place, the way that you feel about that bad place is something that plays a factor into that. It is not the everything, right? Like mm -hmm. I think that they say that most homeless people stay homeless because of mental illness or addiction. This is a typical statement, I believe. I really feel like that's a statistic, but mm -hmm. I can't quote you. But the thing is that that is a whole experience, but you need help out of that. But mm -hmm. there is a part of that where you're like, oh, well, I'm homeless, so I'm never going to be anything else. And this is where I'm at. And that kind of way of thinking helps feed those other things that need to be fixed, right? Or worked mm -hmm. on. Maybe, maybe you want to live your life that way and that's fine, do it. But if there are underlying issues that need to be worked on, the way that you feel about the existence that you're having, whether it's this horrible experience that you're like, oh, I can't get out of it, that helps add to whatever the underlying factors are, I think. And so part of, I think, learning to use the magic that exists in every one of us is understanding how to look at something and go, no, this doesn't have to be my story. Right. And I can step out of it and then fail a whole bunch and then continue to get up and keep trying to step out of it until you do. That's a magic that there mm -hmm. is magic to that. I don't know. an indomitable will. You know what I mean? Like literally magic is the act of will. You are exerting your will on the world. When you put that will into achieving your goals, that's how you get it. And you have to have failures. So yeah. learning magic includes failures too. And it includes sitting down and I don't know, fucking reading a super old book. And then it just doesn't jive with you because so much of it doesn't make sense. Well, okay, that's fine. That book is probably great for somebody else. Like maybe the person sitting next to you, but it's not for you. Move on find the next thing, keep searching because that's how you gain wisdom enough to start making better magical decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I feel like I pretty much just went on a rant. No, Sorry. no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it, it ties in some of the things that I really liked about your book and the fact that it was, I mean, your book, it's about witchcraft, but it's also about utilizing a lot of the tools that, especially in modern day witchcraft practice that we employ that really anyone can find useful, whether you identify as a witch or not. Yeah. One of the things that is throughout your book is these journal prompts. And I have been a dialectical geared person my whole life. So I've always had journals, but mm -hmm. one of the things that I always tell people in terms of having any kind of practice, be it witchcraft practice, tarot practice, whatever it is, even if it's just like, I did this today. Journaling is such a, a very useful skill for like self-inquiry mm -hmm. and also just like having that container for your thoughts. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things that is a through line through your work is yeah. utilizing these very tried and true methods that have a lot of research behind the benefits of journaling and journaling mm -hmm. your feelings. And I thought maybe you could talk about why journaling is so important to you and your approach to the craft. Right. So, I mean, it really just comes back to the fact that I was an eight-year-old boy who wanted to be an author and I never gave up on that. And a lot of that years and years of that was bad journaling and bad mm. writing and bad everything, but it was cathartic and mm -hmm. it was freeing. I can look at my life and say, yo, I had some shitty fucking things happen, right? Can I curse here? Yeah. Is oh, this yeah. Okay? oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I can look at my life and I can be like, look at, look at all my shit. Here is my pile of shit, right? It's like a Trent Reznor cover by Johnny Cash. But at the end of the day, I'm healed. Mm -hmm. I feel healed. And 
a large part of that has to do with, you know, the mental health doctors and professionals that I have sought out throughout life or been forced to have, right? Because that's been a constant since I was a child until not long ago. And it'll probably happen again. Like I love talking to counselors, right? Therapy is great. Yeah. And it's good for your mental health. So on top of that, writing has been the only other place that I could put that. I used to be a Mm self-harmer and I did that for years and years and years. And I journaled and I have journals that I still have that have my blood in them and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I have journals that talk about wanting to harm myself, all kinds of stuff. Right. And then I would harm myself sometimes. But the more I wrote about the pain, instead of just saying like, this is what I want to do to myself, or this is what I can't deal with, I would be like, this is what the pain feels like. Mm -hmm. And being able to like articulate the feeling that I had gave birth to a whole nother world where that can exist now. You know what I mean? And that's, I think what writing is, is that you're giving birth to a world and you are that world's God, right? And maybe that's all we are, are little stories in some larger beings, little like world, right? And there's infinite numbers of worlds out there and who knows. But when you create from anything yourself, right? Whether it's a child or it's, a piece of art or it's something that you've written and put out into the world, you have given birth, you have given life to something, whether it is metaphysical life or physical life or what you have given life to your idea. And so for me, writing was always about giving that life. And like, as it became this butterfly, it was this worm festering in me that grew into a butterfly and was able to fly away because I made it real. Right. And that released so much in me. And that didn't heal me completely, obviously, right? I'm human. I'm probably not healed all the way now, but like writing helps me to heal these things. And so even to this day, and so then I'm like, well, if writing can lead me to healing, then writing can certainly lead me to magic. And I started practicing these journal prompts and I found myself just enthralled by what came out. And I was like, oh yeah, this can definitely go in the book. Writing is... Uh, like the word is magic. Mm. So why wouldn't you be journaling about magic, right? Words are magic, literal magic. Right. That's just how it is. And so Mm. why wouldn't that be included? I feel because it certainly fucking helps me connect to my inner self. And you can't really practice magic until you're connected to your inner self and your external self, right? Because let's really think about it. Okay. Like when you're in your zone, like maybe writing's not your thing. And so if it's not your thing, Maybe these journal prompts wouldn't prompts would not work for you. But let's say they do. Like in your case, you like to write also, or you like words, right? That's what you said. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, okay. I, I keep a journal. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So, like, let's say that that does work for you. That's great. Like, you have found more insight in your magic through these little like prompts and whatnot. And maybe you also found a little insight in healing. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you're not, using the journal prompt to like write like how do you express yourself and can you express yourself can you express this idea in that way also like it doesn't necessarily have to be a journal I think Mm -hmm. like maybe you knit and and like you can knit an octopus and that octopus has like meaning to something like an intention or or a healing or you know an insight from one of the journal prompts and like you knit that and it creates the realism of it. And that's now like a totem or like, you know, tag lock to this idea of magic that you're now giving birth to. Yeah. And it, it kind of relates to one of uh, the books that's been really influential to me in my craft is the artist's way by Julia Cameron. Oh. Yes. I have not read that. Oh, it's so it's a really awesome book that is it's kind of like a system and one of the sort of central themes of it is that when we as humans engage in the act of writing creating art creating music we are closest to our divine expression Mm. and that every sort of form of creativity you celebrate you encourage you facilitate in any way you can and not everything has to be shared one of the methods of going through the artist way, because it's a way to support your artist self and your creativity and nurture it in a sustainable way. 
And one of the practices is journaling your morning pages and your morning pages are sort of these unprompted sessions where you just pre-write everything yeah. in your head. And that helps you to get out all of the things that might be holding you back, any kind of negative thoughts. And in the artist way system, you're never supposed to read these morning oh. pages. You're just churning them out, but it's getting you into the process of writing. And then of course, there's journal prompts in the artist way to kind of help to formate your thoughts. So it's simply the act of just taking your attention and time to create is in and of itself sacred and holy and brings us closer to our divine selves. And when we can be connected to our divine selves and feel empowered, that's where the magic comes from. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Because when we're connected to our divine selves, we're actually probably all just connected to the source. Right. So we're all probably connected to the same thing, but it's how we choose to access the source. I am a polytheist, but I am monotheistic. I only want to work with this one deity and that is it. And that is all I need. And I'm good with it. But I fully believe in all deities. Mm -hmm. I'm there for that too. I just, I mean, including the God of Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. Like gotta be, if one of them is real, then all of them, right? Like that's right. the only way to really see that. And I think that really it's all actually just how we perceive our access points to the source. So in a polytheistic religion, such as Hinduism, right? Some families or people will be more into certain deities in their pantheon, but they still can work or do work with others as needed for very specific things, right? And I think that they're all just accessing the same thing because God is like gold. God right. is this metal that is malleable and it can be anything. It could be a ring. It could be an earring. It could be a necklace. It could be God is everything. Mm -hmm. And so I see God as like a belly button ring, or maybe you see God as like all of your earrings and your ears, or you know what I'm saying? Like, it's all perception becoming reality, really, but it's our access point to the source. And so I think that through art and or expression of some sort, you're able to access that definitely much easier. And it is in being able to commune with that part of everything that the magic actually like filters down into you, right? Like you have to plug in, you're mm -hmm. like a computer or a, a electronic. You have to plug in to like get that access. It's like old school dial up internet. <laughs> Cause you have to work really hard to get it too. Sometimes. Yeah. It's stupid. Sometimes it's just like, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but yeah, magic is in that. Yeah, but you really do have to connect like your, I guess, like earth self and above earth self or whatever. I don't know what to call them, like physical and metaphysical mm -hmm. realities. And you really have to be able to bridge that in some way. Yeah. And also so you the, have to connect. Yeah. The idea of connecting to your divine self is a reminder that you are worthy of that. Yeah. Right. You are worthy of yeah. accessing that magic. And that's something that I feel like your book is such a great way and access for people that are in really adverse situations, yeah. especially, yeah, you know, young queer people who may be experiencing homelessness or being forced into really adverse situations where I was rereading some of the sections of your book. And I just, I want to make sure that folks know like big content warning. You do talk <laughs> very candidly about some of the really horrendous abuse you suffered and yeah. how you were able to find your way through this extremely abusive situation by utilizing these tools that you talk about and, and your witchcraft practice and that the connecting to your divine self was the reminder that you were worthy of love, even though you were being abused and told constantly that you weren't, that you were worthless and then being physically assaulted constantly, which causes just an enormous amount of trauma that mm -hmm. humans, when we are traumatized, it's not like we all have the right tools to really process that trauma in a way that doesn't have generational cycles of abuse that we can then perpetuate onto other people. And right. so witchcraft is a way to disrupt that, right? At least from your yeah. perspective, witchcraft is a way to disrupt those cycles of abuse 
and also in power. You yeah, know, I yourself. think, you know, so yes, I would say witchcraft is a tool that can be used to empower yourself and to helping yourself get out of those situations. But I think bigger than that, finding what is empowering to you, yeah. like maybe it's not witchcraft, right? Because let's face it, there are lots of people in lots of different situations and more of them suck than don't. Okay. And so they aren't all going to go to witchcraft, but the, the truth of it, everything is, is that they don't have to go to witchcraft, but they have to go to what empowers them. Mm -hmm. Where are they going to find their empowerment? Because that is where they're going to find their sanctuary mm -hmm. to rest long enough mm -hmm. to go back out and fight and then work towards always having that thing that gives you the empowerment. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like for me, writing, like communicating is the thing that gives me being able to be vulnerable and clear and concise in my communication is the key to my own self-empowerment. And that works in magic because you have to be very clear. You have to know how to like get your points out and that's fine, but that's not everybody either. Some right. people might struggle with that and that's okay. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. That's Okay. But the thing is, is that whatever they don't struggle in is where to focus that empowerment and building in your magic, right? But for me, like being creative or writing or being clear is very helpful for my magic and for my practice of witchcraft. But more than that, it's the only thing that ever made me feel powerful is mm -hmm. my ability to use words and communicate clearly and get my point across so succinctly that there is no doubt what I'm saying, right? And maybe I feel at that sometimes, but by and large, this is the thing that I feel empowerment through. And so writing or speaking or talking to somebody, these are all things that I seek out. And in using those things just in the real world, I continue to like build upon them and get better at them. And then now I have the book deal and I know how to communicate with my husband to have a good, happy marriage. And I know yeah. how to understand when I'm having a trauma-informed response. And I know how to understand when I'm having anxiety. And I've had to teach those things to myself in order to manage in the world and also communicate those things both to me, to this little thing inside that doesn't understand being human and to other people around me so I can accomplish every step forward that I'm seeking. Because it is only in that clarity of communication that I am able to say, hey, no, I don't understand this. Hey, no, I need you to help. Hey, no, I just you have got to stop what you're doing and not bother me right now. You know, like being able to clearly communicate anything in magic mm -hmm. itself is like key. Like you have to clearly communicate what you want, what your intention is, what your goal is, what you want out of this, right? Because there's a lot of chaotic energy that could go anywhere if you're not able to clearly communicate your goal. But in the real world too, for me, clearly communicating everything has been liberating. So that is where I seek self-empowerment. And so if it's not in witchcraft, find the thing that does make you powerful and latch onto that and build on that and find a way to make that happen every day, all day long, because you're just going to grow from having that empowerment constantly coming in. And it doesn't work all the time. Like sometimes I fail at communicating. Mm -hmm. So it might be a hit to my ego, but because I get so much empowerment from it and because I'm so used to getting up and keeping on, it's easier, I guess, to get up and do that. But you got to remember to do that because mm -hmm. it's about the like continuing. The practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like I hate to call it practice because like I could do it a million times and be perfect at it. And that million and first time I fuck it up. You know what I mean? We're human. I don't know that it's a practice as much as it is just persistence. Mm -hmm. It is a persistence. Yeah. yeah. And I think your particular perspective on the persistence that it requires is really useful to the community of young queer people that are facing some of the adverse situations that you lived through. And yeah. in particular, just because, you know, that's your framework that's also come from, but the way that you were able to utilize these techniques and lift yourself up out of these really adverse situations and become a professional writer is in part because of your particular approach. And so I thought like maybe you could talk a little bit about the way that your witchcraft 
is inherently tied into your queer identity and also your identity as someone who has lived a life of a lot of adversity. And then what the people who might be experiencing that can, as sort of an entryway to your work, what are those really important things that you would like to say to people who are in that situation? So I feel like my witchcraft ties into my identity much in the same way that my being gay ties into my identity. And it's that these are just pieces of who I am. You know what I mean? It's a part of who I am. There's not a percentage because I'm not more gay than I am a witch, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe my husband would argue that I am more gay than I am anything else. But I mean, like I'm not, right? And so just as much as I want to get out and build something, I want to get out and fucking make a garden or dance around and be merry and joyous. And so I think that identity is multifaceted and that when you're dealing with identity or having issues with identity or people have an issue with your identity, that it's that moment where you go, well, okay, like who am I and what am I secure in saying I am right now? And that's going to change and grow as you go. There was a point where gay was my identity and there has been a point where which is my identity. And it's like the world expects you to be like this small little niche and you're not just so I would say what you do is you niche up. That's my advice in life is niche up. Like It's okay. Embrace every part of your identity and let it live its truest form because that is going to call in the family that you're supposed to have. Yes. It is going to like bring in your found family that you're meant to have, right? Mm-hmm. Because we aren't all born into the families. Okay, I believe we are all born into the families that we're meant to have and that for whatever reason, they happen the way that they happen, shitty as they may be or not. But also there is a family that we find along the way. And sometimes they're there for like a little bit. And sometimes you call them once every like three years. And sometimes it's somebody that you call once a month or it's the husband that you sleep next to every night, right? You find these people and they fill these for a lack of better words, needs in your life of what you essentially need. And what's great about that is that those people also become part of your identity, right? And so I would vibe with you different than I would vibe with my son, obviously. And I think that that is when you start finding your identity too. So as you find your people, more of your identity becomes more clear and it helps you to kind of get there. So I'd say niche up. If you're stuck in a situation, it sucks. And I'm sorry. Like I've been there. I I mean, like I was a sex worker for like Mm -hmm. a decade or more. I mean, like I was just like the minute I realized that sex was a tool, Mm -hmm. I have been using it. And I was very, very young. But I also really early on learned that dirty old men are a tool as well. Mm -hmm. And like that became a survival technique for me. And like, that sucks. And I don't want that for anybody, but it is a fact. And at some point that was my identity, but then I niched up and I was like, "Mm, I'm also brilliant and a writer and I should go to school. And so I niched up and found my way into school. It's just all of these things, they happen in their time and you can put the work in to get them to happen at the speed or rate that you need it to or want it to, but nothing is perfect. It's not always going to be exactly like, I am not the person I thought I was going to be when I was young and homeless at all. Right. Yeah. At all. And honestly, like that person doesn't really exist anymore because Mm. so much about that identity or that person that I used to be is like, it was so informed by trauma. Yeah. And then through healing, I'm like, oh no, that that's a trauma-informed response. And I can choose not to have that response now because I can identify that this is trauma-informed. Yeah. And it's this excellent moment where I go, oh wait, now I'm not that person who's gonna like fly off the handle at someone, or I'm not that person that's gonna go and like self-destruct everything because mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable anymore and just different things like that. And I think that not only is that self-empowerment, but it is being able to do those things, help you connect better to yourself and your divine self and your inner self and all of that also. So it like enhances your magic. And I think it also helps you to critically think about your situation, Mm -hmm. right? I wasn't critically thinking about being homeless when I was homeless. I was like, okay, I need to solve this immediate problem. How do I sleep tonight? Where Mm -hmm. am I sleeping under a fucking bridge again? Or how about that couch? Is it dry? 
It's mm-hmm. sitting outside behind a goodwill, but it might work. You know, these are the goals or how am I going to get something to eat right now? I haven't eaten in like two days. I've had water, but what now? You know what I mean? Like figuring those things out and all of that. That's critical thinking, but it's, it's so like a survival base. Yeah. Sort and, of and like, there's, mm-hmm. there's not a way out of it, but you have to, I mean, there is a way out of it. You just have to keep putting the pieces together until they fit the right way. Because really you're probably crawling, you're clawing your way out of something, mm-hmm. but keep trying, keep clawing. Like even if your nails break off and you're like bones are exposed, climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you were saying, niching up and creating community by, you know, living your truth and finding a way to empower yourself, but also to find the connections that are affirming is, mm-hmm. I think, a, another really key point. And that's one of the things I, at least my intention is for this podcast, because, you know, I identify as queer and I've had a lot more privilege, I think, than I, I'm totally willing to acknowledge. But, you know, the challenges and difficulties in my life have taught me that, yeah, it is really important to be in a community of supportive people that affirm you and affirm who you are. And my co-host, Ruby, just came out as trans. Oh. In fact, she's going to be introducing herself as Ruby on the next episode of the podcast. And she's still very young, you know, she's, uh, you know, the, the, the other end of millennial, I think she's right at the millennial Gen Z line. And so with our connection and working on the podcast, and then we just did a live show together, it was the attracting the people in her life that she needed to feel that she was finally ready to present as Ruby, because obviously this wasn't the first time that she realized that she was trans, but this was the first time that she could come out as trans. Mm -hmm. And that was a very magical thing because now we're, it's sort of even bonded us even closer. Yeah. Finding the place and the people that celebrate you for who you are yet at the same time. And this is something you talk about in your book, honor and respect your boundaries, because those of us who come from trauma and have experienced it, a lot of times there are things that we may, you know, develop as a survival that, mm-hmm. that help us survive, but that don't help us thrive and making right. sure that we have the right boundaries in place around other people that may have had adverse situations and traumatic situations so that we aren't perpetuating what is our trauma response on those people or they aren't perpetuating it on us. Right. Right. I think that it's really important to always remember that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can get into cycles where we surround ourselves by people who are hurting in the same way that we are. Yes. And nobody's healing because of it. Like it's good, again, to niche up, niche up, however the fuck you say the word. Niche, mm-hmm. I think, is the real way. But when you're doing that, when you're expanding outside of the egregore of despair that you're like weighed under with other people who are weighed under that same thing like when you start bringing in other energies or people or ideas and ways of thinking you start to kind of like find your way out of that also so I think that it's really important to mm, I know it's not easy for people but sometimes opening yourself up to people is important and you can do that with boundaries you can certainly like identify your boundaries and identify another person's boundaries and and be like okay I know how to stay inside of this and still get the healing or insight that I might need you know there are ways but you learn that over time I think too so yeah I don't know like over I think that the really important thing is that it's okay to remove people from your life right yes, because absolutely. if somebody is not helping you heal then they're hurting you that's just it you know what I mean or they're stagnant and not doing much of anything and are you doing that because you want to be stagnant too what are you keeping in your life right Mm -hmm. and is it making you happy and if not that's time to identify that boundary yeah and when you set that boundary and you're like no I'm not going to have less than this in my bank account or no I'm not going to write less than this every day or yes I'm always going to wake up and do my morning dump of writing you know, when you start setting these boundaries and they're firm and, and they're, they stick, they also begin to build identity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it all comes back to that as well, because like, 
it's through time and coming to terms with your own identity that you're able to then come to the world and say, hey, this is my identity. Yeah. And whether you accept it or not, I'm okay because I have the people who will accept it. Right. One of the hallmarks of healthy relationships is open communication. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that you can sort of gauge what the level of that person's commitment to having a healthy relationship yeah. is, is how easily you can communicate both your boundaries and also having this, what I like to say, and I'm borrowing this from Star Trek, proceeding <laughs> with absolute candor, being yeah. like very honest about, hey, you know, this is where I'm at. Can I get your consent before you like offer touch to do this to me whatever. or touch yeah. me? Yeah. Just having that very open dialogue. And then if that person that in this relationship is angry or tries to gaslight you or you know a lot of these terms are red flags I've learned yeah red flags that you yeah. you have to be able to say okay I'm putting this boundary down and now and I definitely have been in the place where I've had to love people from afar you know yeah I will always love some of the people that I've had to cut completely out of my life and honor that time in my life, but I absolutely do not want those people back. And I will hold that boundary for as long as I live because they created a lot of trauma and harm in my life. And yeah. so, and it's, it is totally okay. Not to say that you always have the ability to cut somebody out of your life that's causing you harm. I mean, sometimes they're yeah, I mean, like, certainly, <laughs> yeah, like there's certainly room for that to be an issue I mean like I I grew up in a situation where I couldn't get away yeah for a while you know and I had to find my way out and a little bit of magic went into that but mm -hmm. a lot of like happenstance went into it you know what I mean things were in play and then there was magic that helped push it along probably but I got out it's not going to be the same way for everybody but there. I think there is always a way out at some point. You just like, I think you just have to seek it out. You know yeah. what I mean? It's that like getting up and keep trying. I'd like to believe that that's true. That could be fiction. Like maybe there isn't for some people, but I got, I have to believe that there is always a way out because I certainly felt like there wasn't mm -hmm. multiple times in my life. I've certainly felt like there wasn't a way out while I was homeless and while I was in places that I couldn't get out of and as a child and even as a full-grown adult with things under my belt that told me I am good and I can't get out of things, I still felt at my deepest moment of despair that there was no way out. Mm -hmm. But instead of, I have had multiple suicide attempts. Yeah. And in those attempts, every time it was, no, I'm not going to do this. It was that moment of, I need to take myself to the hospital or I need to not, you know, cut too deep or, mm -hmm. you know, just different. I don't know. It, it, there, there is a moment and it's that moment that I choose. No, this is, it can get better. And every time it did, mm -hmm. like it might feel like there's no way out, but eventually there is. You just got to, the opening could take decades and it could take days. You know right. what I mean? But there's an opening and right. you got to hold on for that opening. It's hope. That's hope. Yeah. And that resilience that yeah. the practices built into your particular approach to witchcraft, I think helps build in that resilience. Because when you're journaling that you are connected to the divine, that you are worthy of love, that you can affirm, at least on paper, that you are somebody that is inherently worthy even if everyone is telling you on the outside that you're not, that kind of insulates you and gives you a little bit of protection, both yeah. mentally and even physically from internalizing all of that, you know, negativity and abuse. And then also just having the perspective, which often comes with both therapy and experience of just, oh, this is why this person is hurting me is because yeah. they have been very harmed having that compassion and seeing them and seeing their trauma one of my last year 
with our Samhain episode, we did an episode on epigenetic healing and how to break generational cycles of abuse Mm -hmm. and how trauma is passed through the DNA. And one of the lessons from that was with my grandmother and what a malignant narcissist she was and how cruel she was to my mother. And then at the same time, having compassion for her and being like, I see why you had to be this way growing up in the 40s and being a woman that was only valued for your appearance, that that made you really fatophobic and very yeah. judgmental to other people. And I see that and I honor that and I don't have to carry it, Nana. Like right. I don't have to be judgmental about people's bodies. I don't have to carry that with me and continue that abusive pattern. And then by seeing that and seeing her own trauma that caused it, I can acknowledge it and I can heal it. And that is something that also, when we heal ourselves, we heal our DNA, we heal our ancestral line. So by you coming through this experience of, you know, living on the street and having to do sex work for survival and being able to bring yourself out of it, you have healed that in yourself that will then in in part be healed in your lineage, right? And of yeah. course, your son will be the inheritor of you healing those generational patterns. That's another thing about this work and specifically with witchcraft is when you take the initiative to love yourself and heal your own trauma, you're not just healing yourself, you're healing your ancestral line, you're healing Mm -hmm. the relationships that are close to you by being able to recognize when something is dysfunctional and why it's dysfunctional. That's such a powerful thing. And yes, it's a lot of therapy and psychology that feeds into it, but it's also something that is inherent in the type of witchcraft that your book advocates and a lot of, you know, modern day practitioners incorporate is this way of healing ourselves and then healing the people and the relationships and also our lineage. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that as you heal those things in yourself and then maybe you procreate, obviously going forward it stops it and if it isn't still happening then it stops hurting your lineage also and that makes perfect sense to me i don't know a lot about ancestors and familial connection i know enough to say that i'm constantly endeavoring to not make the mistakes that my parents made yeah Mm -hmm. and i mean several adults that i've known in becoming an adult i don't want to make the mistakes that they made either and I see myself make those mistakes sometimes, like with my son. And I think to myself, no, that's not how I want to do it. I want to do better. And so I'll come back around. I'll be like, this is what I meant. (laughs) And and this is how I should have said this. And this is the right way for me to help you with your math. Listen, if you ever have children and they start doing math, it is the worst part of coming home from work. Because I'm like, fuck, now I got to think like math. And you know, it's sixth grade math, but you're like, oh, I just worked all day and now I have to put on my math thinking cap. Fuck that shit. It gets to me. Yesterday, I write books, right? I pride myself on my ability to write. He's working on this reading thing and it's capitalizing. And you have to like capitalize some things and uncapitalize other things. And they do all of this stuff on this computer program. And so- I was like, he kept not being able to do it. I was like, let me try this. And I did it and I got to like 99 and then I got one wrong and it drops you down to 70. I'm like, wait, I, it took me all this time to get to 99. And this is a fucking school score. I just lost out because I got one wrong. That's not fair. Yeah, well, and also, you know, our neurodivergences may not completely lead to success in that very narrow format. Absolutely. Right. Like, Like, give me spell check. I don't need to know what needs to be capitalized. (laughs) It'll tell me. Grammarly will let me know if I missed it. For sure. I I mean, AI is going to be writing most of the stuff anyway now, right? (laughs) I don't think it's possible. I don't think that's possible. If I'm being honest with you, AI cannot have a human experience. And the reason Mm. people like to read what they read is because there is a human experience tied to it. And if you can't make it, it, I mean, there are things that people read that maybe like history or whatever, 
I guess people are interested in that stuff, but I think that things like fiction, AI could never do Mm. because I don't think it can think the way that a human mind thinks and really apply the human experience to that. And I think that especially fiction thrives because of human experience. Yeah. And it's such a wild world we're in right now. I've been seeing my author friends posting how their name is being used to publish AI written books and they have to go through. Oh yeah. I forget who it was. One of the authors on my Facebook page had, or maybe it was one of the authors, I think it was Amy Blackthorne had shared this post of another author who had to go through all of this bullshit to get their name taken off of these books that were written by AI. And I've never found a book that's written by AI, but I know that there are some publishers who do get AI to write witchcraft books and then just put them out there. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of a whole other conversation that we're already uh, close to getting to time. But yeah, I mean, as a writer, yeah, how are you doing with the AI revolution in our Um, uh, world? I mean, I think that it makes pretty cool pictures of me when I let it scan my face. And I I really love Grammarly. And I guess there's an AI component to that, but I don't use the AI component. I like Grammarly because it'll be like, hey, I think you're trying to say this. And it catches the things that my simple word processor doesn't catch. But other than that, like I'm not overly concerned by AI because while I have written witchcraft books, like I am, I am more than that. Yeah. identity i am i am a niche that cannot be filled and mm-hmm. so i just i would niche up <laughs> yeah it's kind of the niching the, up with Vinny. the catchphrase of the, the, yeah. the interview yeah sorry yeah so no i mean that's i find the ai is useful for when you have to have a lot of content always yeah. it can be useful like my husband uses it a lot for his D games Oh, okay. and yeah and it's that like makes he, sense yeah that makes it, sense though right because right. then the game the the people play in the game bring the human component so that works see yeah so ai does have its place but i don't think in terms of real writing what authors really do i don't think in terms of that that it could replace that in fact i think it might weed it out mm, yeah and well, like plus, really it lies you know, it yeah. lies Anything you put into Bard, you have to double check. And oh yeah, yeah, it's because it just makes shit up. It doesn't have so any funny. integrity to tell you the truth. And so it's like here, there is a goblin sitting at your feet, and you're like, goblins aren't real. No, goblins are real, and they come <laughs> from like. Oh, that's brilliant though. That would be good for some. I guess maybe brainstorming. Mm-hmm. You know, take the lie and run with it. There are certainly authors who could do that. But again, that's that human component. Yeah. So maybe it could be used for that, I guess. I don't know. I am at no loss for bizarre ideas. So I don't think I would need that. But it would probably be handy for someone, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it it's here. You know, yeah. figuring out how to integrate it into our, our lives is just going to be part of surviving yeah. late stage capitalism at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but maybe late stage capitalism won't survive. Hopefully. I, I mean, know, the, the vision I, the, the, the future I envision is, you know, Star Trek in the post economy world where everyone's basic needs are met and we're all. So the thing to... about Star Trek is, aren't they basically communists and not like this negative connotation of yeah. communists, but aren't they all living like it's basically everybody has what they need yes. and everybody has a job. Right. Well, everybody, right. everybody gets universal basic income on earth so yeah. that, you know, oh, the they people don't have th- to have a job. They don't have to have a job, at least in oh. the, the Star Trek canon that I've seen. I mean, okay, they don't have money anymore. Um, right. You know, the, but they also don't have to make food because they have replicators right. and they, they don't have, have replicators, to make right. clothes because they have replicators and they don't have to drive anywhere because they have transporters and yeah. You can talk to everybody because your communicator speaks every language. Yeah. So in a world like that, that would be very easy to be communist. But I think that it's so weird to say the word communist because it's such a negative 
mm-hmm. connotation, but really at its essence, communism does make sense. And it could work if people weren't power hungry. The issue with communism is not that people are working and living in commune with each other. The issue is that there is always, historically, there has always been someone who is there to tell you who is bad and not allowed. And they're there to tell you what you can and cannot do. And that is the problem. Like, isn't it? I guess like what I'm trying to say is that when people try to instill communism, it just goes south because of greed. And the only way to make it work without greed is if everybody had everything they need without hurting anybody Mm -hmm. else. Right. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, they say the future is here. It's just not equitably distributed. Yeah. And that's that's where we're at is that there's just not- What would you do? Huh? What would you do? What would you do if everyone had basic income, you can get what you need, you can go do whatever you want. What would you do all day with your life in this the podcast. Star Trek world? That's it. Oh yeah, you're like I would. I would do this podcast so much harder. It would be like, like all day, every day. I would work on art even more. I would yeah. help organize more live shows and get more musicians and and writers and artists to get to present their work. If I had universal basic income and I didn't have to constantly be hustling, I would just create more art. And that's yeah. kind of what... That's what I would do too. I would yeah. create more. I would just write. That's it. If the sun is good and my family is good and everything is good and I don't have to go to work and bust my ass doing what I don't want to do, I would just sit at home and write all day long. Yeah. And I'd probably do a lot of sleeping, if I'm being honest, at least for like the first couple weeks. I'm pretty sure I would just be like, no, I'm resting and I'm going to eat right. And I'm going to not be stressed out. And I'm just going to be a brain dead zombie for a couple weeks first. And then I'm going to get up and I'm going to take care of my body and I'm going to take care of my mind. And I'm just going to do the thing that gives me joy all day. Yeah. yeah. After I have been a sloth for like maybe two months, it might be, it could go a solid two months. I don't know. It would depend on what season it started. Yeah. Because I'm no good at being a sloth in the summer. and in the winter I'm no good at it either because in the summer I'm just go 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 and I get no writing done and then in the winter I'm like right 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 like it's all I do and great things happen but it's so weird because the spring and fall I'm always uh, kind of going into one thing or the other it's this transition where I'm like do I want to be outside or do I want to be on my porch writing like it's Mm -hmm. a weird time yeah but but being able to honor those cycles and need for rest is that's the future liberals want that's the future witches want is being able to rest and make art and magic yeah i think that that's true i think that also in that situation that there are people who would be freed up to do science i'm taking care of i don't have to bust my ass and i want to work on this project you know so the money is there for that project and who knows if there's a breakthrough where you can cure cancer or make nanobots that give you superpowers or come up with the first replicator that works or transporter that Uh, works so we can have star trek yeah i I sure do want a replicator i sure do (sighs) like that would be so convenient just i want vegetables here it is that would be so much more convenient than cooking or ordering food i I will say instantly applies that in star trek the replicator is available but some people still cook captain pike in strange new worlds he still cooks because the replicator can't quite make it as perfectly as a human and i guess that's you know right but his ingredients came from the replicator too didn't they yeah probably maybe (laughs) maybe depends i mean he grows a lot of stuff too in the in the the show but anyway yeah let's let's all (laughs) envision the future where we get to rest where we get to make art and magic and we don't have to just suffer and deal with all this adversity that comes from poverty and trauma that we can lift up everyone including the next generation so that our lessons and survival can be just a way for us to make it better for everyone else so Vinny, what is up for you next? I know you mentioned you have another book coming out. So I have a book that is out right now. It's yeah. called Thrifty Witchery, Magic for the Penny Pinching Practitioner. It is available now anywhere that you get your books. I'm pretty sure you could go to a local witch shop and ask them to get it and they could, but also you could order it 
reviewing it, if you do read it, is really important. It helps so much. And otherwise, that's out now. I'm working on a couple things from a writing perspective. But when does this air? When when would this go on air? Um, it usually takes us about two weeks to get an episode out. Uh, this one, I think. So um, it'll be before that. Then mm-hmm. on October 14th, I'm going to be giving a joint presentation with my co-author from Thrifty Witchery. Her name is Martha Kirby Capo. We are giving a joint presentation on the practice of using intuition, wisdom, and intention to find empowerment. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that at that so mo- that con. Oh, it's yeah, ran yeah. by yeah. So yeah, that that's life. pretty cool. Yeah, that witch life. I I love them. They're they're my favorite witches. They're all my favorite witches. Everyone is. Yeah, but, they're um, they're one of our sister podcasts. Fantastic. So. I love them to death there. And so they've asked Martha and I to come and give a presentation, and it's all digital. So you can buy tickets, and if, even if you don't get to see it live, you can still watch all of the stuff after the fact. Yeah, we'll probably um, run an ad for that on this episode. Oh, that'd be cool. I'm sure yeah. that they would love that. But I'll be doing that on the 14th with Martha. And that's what I have happening right now. Otherwise, I'm just kind of doing the TikTok and Instagram thing. So if you know, want to keep up with me, those are the places. I'm also on threads, but I'm such a stalker on those apps. <laughs> like, I just read what people have said. I don't interact there much. I'm you horrible lurk. at interacting. I am a lurker. I lurk and then I randomly post reels. I don't know. I'm so weird at social media, but I think everyone's weird at social media. It's just a weird thing. It's such a weird thing. It's like you overshare, you know, or you disappear in, or you lurk. And then then of course you're always seeing this filtered version of people. But then those of us that have to be authors and podcasters, we have to interface with it. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I go through these periods of just Sometimes I'm like super geared towards making all the promo on my social media. And sometimes it's absolutely exhausting and I don't want to deal with it. I yeah. understand that. That's a I understand cycle. that 100%. <laughs> it's a true cycle. Yes, it is. But a yeah, cycle. so, you know, social media is there and I get on it sometimes. But yeah, that's everything that's happening in my life right now. That's great. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about this topic. And yeah, I will be attending So Moat That Con. So I look forward to seeing your presentation. And yeah, thank you again for your work and your your wonderful. I look forward to see what else you do. I'm, I'm very happy that your work and you as a writer your exists and so thank you thank you for being you thank you and thank you for having me on your show today i really had a good time yay thank you thank you so much to Vinny for coming on our show and talking with us about his work and how witchcraft saved his life his work has helped save my life lately so we hope to have him back on to talk about his new book thrifty witchcraft sometime later in the upcoming season In the meantime, if you want to help support our podcast and help keep the lights on so that we can keep bringing you these episodes, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter, which is the main way we are financially supporting ourselves. We now have a Discord for all of y'all, and we have special channels for each of the tiers, so if you're a fan of Discord and want to interact with Angel and me in real time, check us out on Discord. On Patreon, we have different levels to fit your budget. If you want to access our bonus episodes, live recordings, including the audio from our Trans Telethon, PowerPoints, tarot spreads, and even more, you can access that and more stuff we are adding all the time for only a dollar a month. At the $5 a month level, we feature a sticker exchange where I will physically mail you roughly one sticker per month by an artist in our Art Witch Coven. This past month was Freya, which I finally got printed and will be mailing out, and I'm currently working on a sticker of Athena and a special bonus sticker, which I will reveal on Patreon. If you missed any stickers from previous months and want to complete your collection, you can purchase them a la carte on our Etsy page. And then finally, at our $10 a month level, you'll get access to our Science Witch Coven and my tarot and astrology practice, where I will read your tarot over Zoom and can give you insight into your birth chart. 
We are working on developing more special perks for supporters at this level, including live streams and Discord chats and events for our Science Witch Coven. We've also been posting a good bit on our YouTube channel, including the long-awaited Puppet Museum episode, and we are working on getting the video from the Trans Telethon livestream up there also, as Angel's been posting videos from Who's in Bloom and Field Reports. We want to try to bring more consistent content to y'all via YouTube so we can make sure that our Science Witch podcast project is more accessible to our followers, which is one of the reasons we've been making an effort to include transcripts and caption videos we post online. If you want to find us on the social medias, we're on Threads, Instagram, and Facebook as the Science Witch Podcast, and you can still find us on I Can't Believe It's Not Twitter at Science Witch Pod. If you want to check out the show notes and transcripts from this episode, see our website at sciencewitchpodcast.com. Finally, if you hate social media but you still want to reach out to us, you can email us at questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com. Until next time, live long and prosper. And blessed be.